Hi, and welcome to this episode of Brainy Moms, brought to you today by Learning RX Brain Training Centers. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Moore, here with my beautiful co-host, Terry Miller, coming to you today from Colorado Springs, Colorado. We are excited to welcome our guest today, Dr. Brent Goldman. Dr. Goldman is a former public school educator who has always been passionate about teaching and learning. However, as a young teacher, he began to believe that the traditional model of education was antiquated and decided there had to be a better way to help students learn. So 25 years ago, Dr. Goldman left public education to co-launch and lead pioneering private schools, including Exceed Preparatory Academy. So glad to have you here. Well, thank you. I'm excited to speak with you today. Good. Before we launch into all the interesting information you have for us, I want you to just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your personal story, and how you came came to where you are now with Exceed Prep Academy. Oh, great. Well, I've had a 30-year career as an educator. Uh, as Amy mentioned, I started as a public school teacher. My first job was an interesting job. It was fifth grade dropout prevention, mm. which just the title alone, you know, that we're already labeling 10-year-olds as potential dropouts was a little problematic, but I had a lot of fun and connected with, with the kids. And then I was a high school social studies teacher for four years uh, and then uh, got together with uh, my family and we had an opportunity to open a K-12 private school in South Florida and Western Florida called the Sagemont School. Uh, And uh, we owned and operated it for 17 years, grew it to about 820 kids, sent kids to great colleges and universities, Uh, you know, had a fantastic fine arts program, uh, college prep program, sports program. Uh, but along the way, we've done some pretty cool non-traditional stuff as well. We started an online high school in 2002 with the University of Miami. Um, and if you think back to 2002, I didn't get my first email address, I think, till 1994. So in 2002, the online schooling world was brand new. Uh, you know, now it's ubiquitous. We Online learning is everywhere, elementary school, middle school, high school, college. My son got his driver's permit in the state of Florida online. So it's it's everywhere. But in 2002, you know, people looked at you like you had an eye in the middle of your head when you told them that you can learn school online in your house and your PJs. So we were the first private SACS accredited online school. Um, so that was kind of uh, you know, kind of pioneering, and then we, we, we sold that school to the Washington post in 2007, which was, which was owned by, uh, they owned Kaplan at the time. So it was kind of a, a, a crazy time, but we were, you know, became serial educational entrepreneurs. Um, we were co-founders of an online high school, that we started in 2009, that is now, uh, I think we've graduated 13,000 students called Smart Horizons, uh, which is an online school geared towards adult high school dropouts. Uh, we partner with McDonald's, we partner with Amazon, uh, we partner with public libraries across the United States to help students who 
dropped out of school generally because, uh, you know, of, of a life problem. Uh, uh, a parent passed away. Uh, they got pregnant. And, you know, maybe they had three years of high school, but they didn't finish. So that, that we started that in 2009. Um, and then in 2016, um, the, uh, we conceptualized Exceed, uh, which we've, you know, today we have seven schools uh, across the United States, mostly in the state of Florida. We have one school in Georgia, one school in Iowa, and then a virtual school. And uh, Exceed basically is a combination of my 30 years of experiences. Uh, it's a, a hybrid blended learning uh, environment uh, where we deliver our curriculum online, but in a live brick and mortar setting with live subject certified teachers. So because we deliver the curriculum online, uh, the students have access to their school 24 seven, 365. Uh, they can do their work uh, Saturday morning, uh, Sunday night at one in the morning on Wednesday. Uh, you know, we're in a traditional school, the doors are locked, uh, and, uh, you don't have access to that. You don't have access to your teachers when the final bell, uh, rings. Uh, but then they come into school, uh, with live subject certified teachers. So they have one-on-one -on -one contact with their teachers and obviously the socialization that the that the strictly online school doesn't have where they can be around friends. So it's kind of you have your cake and eat it too. And that's our model. And the, you know, so we launched 2017 with two schools um, in South Florida. We now have three schools in South Florida, one in Daytona Beach, Florida. Uh, and the, you know, this was pre-pandemic. Uh hybrid now is is much more uh you know, we work, we work hybrid, we move to different states, because we can, you know, it doesn't really matter where we live anymore, uh, with our jobs, if we don't have to come into the office. So adults have become, uh, when we started exceed adults really did not get it, kids got it. Uh, because kids are growing up in an on demand world, the adults, we go back to how we were educated and how we envisioned our schools to look like and what our teachers are supposed to do and our text, our hard copy textbooks. Uh, but kids today are growing up, you know, with Netflix, Amazon prime, uh, Uber, uh, and smartphones. Uh, so it's a much different world for them. Uh, and this hybrid way of learning really fits how they're growing up in today's world. So it's uh, it's been a very interesting 30 year journey from public school, uh, starting a traditional K-12 private school to uh, online schools for all ages, uh, and now kind of a blended learning hybrid model. So I want to ask you, um, you you firmly believe that the hybrid model is the future of education. And so I want you to you alluded a little bit to it um, a minute ago because times have changed and our kids are different now. Is this a logistics issue or is this psychological? What is it about the hybrid model that is going to sustain it? Why is it the future? Well, I think a number of things. I think the, 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 the main reason that traditional school exists as is is a childcare issue. 
more mm. so than anything else. Um, wow. parents, parents need to work and they need to be able to house their kids, you know, to have their kids supervised while they're working, you know? So, um, now the world is changing, um, and pe- more people are working from home, uh, and more people have flexibility with their workplace. So I think that, uh, you know, we're a private school, but I think that this model can, can work also in the charter school world or the public school world as well. Uh, and, and I think that kids today are different than 15, 20 years ago. Uh, they have, you know, they have interests that school gets in the way of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be they're a competitive athlete. It could be that they want to work. Uh, it, it could be that they have an internship opportunity or they're a, a, a singer or they're in a, a, you know, a traveling Broadway troupe uh, or their parents want to travel, but they can't because of the rigidity, the rigidity of the traditional school. So I, I think the pandemic kind of accelerated all this. But, uh, you know, I think that, you know, parents saw how kids learn for the first you know, three months specifically during the pandemic, but, you know, even the, the course of the next year. And I think they say, so, you know, the, the, the remote learning obviously got bad press. Um, but I think for a lot of kids, it was the first time in their lives they were successful academically. And their parents saw that. Their parents, you know, why, why is that? Well, maybe it was because in a traditional classroom, they're embarrassed to raise their hand. Maybe in a traditional classroom, they're being bullied. Uh, maybe they, uh, they have attentional issues and they can't focus for seven hours, but they can for three or four. So I think, you know, parents discover that, hey, my kid is being successful for the first time. What are different ways, you know, are there different programs out there, you know, whether it's a strict online school? Uh, or a, a hybrid model that, uh, you know, my kid can finally learn and be successful for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I have said this multiple times since the pandemic started, but I think one of the reasons why online learning got such a bad, got such bad press early on is because the schools that didn't have a learning management system already in place, schools that didn't have that infrastructure in place to support online learning really had to drop back and punt, right? They were, my sister uh, teaches math in a rural area of West Virginia. They did not have any online infrastructure in place. And so she was screwing a whiteboard into her dining room wall (laughs) to teach high level high school math online, right? But And so schools like that, they did struggle, right? Teachers didn't have the resources they need. They didn't have that system in place. Whereas schools that already had a learning management system, that already had that option and and were already running and were well-oiled machines, they were thriving, Yeah, right? Everybody just pivoted to the online option in those school systems, right? Well, think, think, think back to March 2020, I mean... Schools basically shut down on a Friday and reopen on a Monday remote. Yeah. Yeah. So 
you know, there was there was no teacher training. There was a lack of infrastructure. There was a lot of kids that didn't have high speed Internet access at home. You know, so you were right. seeing kids pulling up to the McDonald's parking lots to, you know, to try to get uh, uh, hooked up to the classes. There were kids that, uh, you know, that were, you know, not turning their cameras on. So there was no accountability if they were even there. I mean, there were all kinds of issues. Yeah. But ultimately, it was just, you know, at the end of the day, who could have been envisioned and prepared for a pandemic that uh, over a weekend you have to totally transform how you how you teach. Right. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, even after that summer, when we, you know, we still didn't have vaccines and, you know, there was still obviously a lot of unknowns. There still wasn't, you know, when the kids kind of quasi went back to school, it still wasn't good. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that kind of led to the, you know, a lot of dissatisfaction that people had. Yeah, absolutely. Will you also talk about um, class size? And so you say that um, you believe the answer to student engagement is smaller. Some people believe the answer is smaller class sizes, but you believe the answer is actually smaller schools. Tell us more about that. I've always been a believer in in small schools, uh, you know, the, the hokey, uh, you know, be a name, not a number. Uh, you know, I've always believed that, that, you know, if you get to know your kids, um, that the kid is going to be more successful in school, you know, so in large schools, you know, I remember when I was, you know, I went to a large public middle school, and my dad, and like I was in seventh or eighth grade, and my dad went to, you know, the back to school night or the open house and introduced himself to the principal and said, you know, do you know Brent Goldman? And the principal hesitated, hesitated, and finally said, well, if he doesn't get into trouble, I have no idea who he is because I only know the kids that, that get into trouble. Uh, so, you know, those types, you know, I, I just believe that, uh, you know, there is power in when you walk in the door. Hi, Amy. How was your weekend? How are your parents doing? How's your vacation? How's your job at Publix? Um, you know, those connections are very, very important. Uh, and the, the, you know, the, the small school size, you know, everybody can say that they, you know, the, the personalized instruction with, the, you know, all the big buzzwords, but how can you do that? And, you know, uh, you know, our, our, high, our public high school down here has 6,000 students. It's a great school, but there's no way they can individualize. I mean, there's just, it's just basic math. It, it can't happen. And for a lot of kids, they, they do great there. Uh, and, you know, my concern isn't for those kids. It's those kids that are getting C's that don't get into trouble. They don't bother anybody. So the teacher is probably not going to call you and say, uh, you know, you, you're caught, you know, your, your daughter, or your son is causing problems in my class. And they're surely not going to say, call to say that, Hey, she's a C student. And, and, you know, now, you know, she has a potential to get and be an A student, but she's not bothering anybody. So she's going to kind of continue just kind of moving along and be that, that C student. And I just, I strongly believe in smaller environments that 
you don't get lost in the shuffle. And it's really all ends of that traditional bell curve. Uh, Those kids in the middle have always concerned me. Um, But the kids that struggle on the one end of the bell curve in large and larger environments, larger schools. I mean, let's be real. How, how much opportunity do those kids have for true remediation? You know, so even if they were highly motivated kids and they wanted to get one-on-one help with their teacher, um, okay, maybe I can catch them at lunch. Maybe I can catch them before school. But they're probably at a faculty meeting or they're sponsoring a club or coaching a sport. So the chances of me getting extra help are probably slim and none. And then, you know, the, the, the real bright kids, it's, you know, they're slowed down, too, because the teacher has to kind of keep everybody on on the same page. So the, the, the small school size to me comes back to um, you want your kid to be a name and not a number. Yeah. Uh, and it's as hokey as it sounds, I just can't see how that happens in very large uh, environments. And I want my teachers to be um, to be proactive. I, I want my teachers to call you. Um, you know, if your if your kid's an A student and gets a C, and that's not their normal deal. Yeah, but but the employee handbook says I only have to call you if they they got a D or an F. But what if they got a C? Well, I don't have time to call you. I have two hundred kids. You know, so it's not that I don't care. I don't have the time. And, you know, in, in smaller schools, uh, you know, I think those things are more you know, the, the proactive measures that good teachers take. It's more apt to occur than in, in, in large environments. And I, and I could be proven wrong on that. I'm just giving you and, and I know there's studies that, you know, on, on the, uh, you know, the small schools and, and student success. But even, you know, small class size is great. It sounds great, but sometimes it's too small. I mean, you have a class of seven, eight kids. There's there's really no opportunity for, uh, you know, really positive conversations going back and different points of view. Uh, and, you know, what if, you know, it's all boys and one girl? I mean, it, there's just, you know, to me, you know, what is exactly a good class size number? So I've always been a believer in, in, in small s- schools. And, you know, so when we designed Exceed, it was, you know, based on some other micro school. And there's this micro school genre of, of schools. Um, and, you know, so there's a number, you know, uh, the one that I was most familiar with is called Fusion Academies. And, and they have multiple locations across the United States. But these are, sc- are private schools designed for around 100 kids. So when we were conceptualizing our schools, that was a model that we, uh, you know, that we were looking at uh, because they were, again, they were they're kind of mastering this this micro school world. So where do you see the parents' role in education? Uh, I, I think the, the the parents have to be a partner. Uh, with the school. I mean, if, if they aren't, it's probably not going to work unless you have a really uh, 
you know, like I said, a special, highly motivated kid that doesn't need much support on, on their own. Obviously, you know, in more traditional settings, there's a lot of ways for parents to get involved, which I believe are positive. Um, you know, from volunteer, you know, at younger ages, volunteering in classrooms, reading to kids, um, you know, beginning involved in PTAs, uh, 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 advisory groups with, you know, the principals or heads of school, uh, you know, where they can help, uh, uh, set direction. Um, you know, those are, those are great ways, you know, but I, you know, I think that there's a lot of, you know, you mentioned learning management systems, you know, there's a, a lot more technology now where, where we, you know, we can really know what's going on with our kids' grades. You know, so I have two teenagers uh, and I've always I have two great kids, but I've always told them, listen, I believe the adult more than you Uh, Mm -hmm. always. You know, I'm going to side on the side of the teacher. You know, so, you know, back in our day, parents asked you, how are you doing in social studies class? Good. What does that mean? You know, what does I'm doing fine. Do you have an A? I think so. Maybe. You know, so now, you know, with Canvas or Blackboard or PowerSchool, uh, you know, there's all kinds of systems that schools use where you can get real time, uh, you know, see real time how your kids are doing. And, you know, on a lot of these, uh, you know, back ends, you can see how much time they're spending in each class. You can see student, you know, how much time they spend interact, interacting with their teachers, you know, teachers can log communications. So, you know, I can go in and see that, you know, my child, I think, wasn't telling me the truth (laughs) on exactly, uh, you know, how well they're doing. And, you know, so I think there's accountability uh, there as well. Um, You know, I think my fear with, with parents as a lifelong educators, there has to be that line. Also, um, you know, education is the one field where everybody thinks they know everything because they went to school. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, the, the, the lack of respect for teachers and educators also kind of was magnified over the past uh, two years as well. So I always, you know, I like for parents to you know, kind of know their place also and, and trust the, the trust the professionals to do right by, by your child. But, you know, I think that, you know, obviously there's, you know, good schools always find ways to involve parents. And, you know, I think, you know, when kids see that you're involved and you care about your, your child's education, I think that obviously also leads to uh, academic success. Right. So in a hybrid or online environment, what is your recommendation to parents for um, how they can connect with the teachers, but not micromanage the, the process? Like what, like from a teacher's perspective, what are their expectations of parents' involvement and communication? Yeah. Cause it seems like to make such their a, job easier, such a fine line, like what's your, yeah. What I'm hearing. Uh, so, so what's my advice? And again, I'm using my, I'm a parent as well, um, is do not helicopter. You know, <laughs> I think with, with all of these opportunities to get involved, again, that's why I kind of mentioned that line. 
Um, your kid also kind of has to figure it out. Um, and, and I think that, you know, right now there's just way too much, you know, without being political, with all this stuff going on, on, uh, you know, with book banning and all this, all this stuff, um, you know, trust the school, trust the school is going to do a, a good job, you know, but I think in, you know, in, in, in our environment, um, a lot of our kids, and I'll use this term because it can be many, many different kids are square pegs in a round hole. They could be Harvard bound kids, but they haven't been successful in their current environment. And that's why they're looking for change. Uh, you know, so a lot of our families are like, oh, my God, for the first time in my kid's life, they're being successful. Uh, and, you know, I think that uh, so it's a, you know, because our schools, you know, our schools are four to 5,000 square feet. That's a tiny footprint. You know, uh, you know, most schools are, you know, 100, 200,000 square feet. How we involve our parents is different than, in, than we would in, a, in more of a traditional setting. And obviously the pandemic where you don't want, you know, visitors on campus as much uh, to, you know, to try to not have, uh, you know, all the different germs and stuff. So we don't do as much as we used to with having parents on campus. But if we have big events, um, you know, whether it's uh, uh, curriculum fairs or honor society inductions, obviously we, we want, uh, you know, parents to, to be involved. But, but I, I think, you know, as far as if you can, you know, check in on your kids' progress online, uh, and if you're seeing some slippage or your kids are struggling, uh, you know, obviously to reach out. Um, and, you know, I think also in, in our environment, uh, we have a head of school that's really kind of the, the head coach of our schools. It's a, a much different, you know, again, with 75 to 100 kids, it's a much different role for every one of our uh, folks. So. That person's kind of the, uh, the the first liaison with with parents, uh, you know. But I think that the, the biggest piece of advice is be involved, but don't allocate. Uh, you don't have to, uh, you know. Your kids are, are going to have to figure it out. And you know, with my seventeen year old son who's going to college next year, um, I don't I don't go on his canvas. Uh, I, I haven't, you know, he happens to be a good student, but, you know, he's a senior. I can see some slippage. I can see some, uh, you know, he's got three weeks left of school. But I'm like, you got, you know, you, you can't not, your, your college can take away your admission, you know. Um, you, he's going to be 18 in a couple weeks. He's going to have to figure that one out. And, uh, and then I think also, you know, the, the real micro stuff, like, you know, what curriculum do you use for teaching English or what math curriculum do you use? I mean, that's not our expertise as parents. Uh, you know, that's the school's expertise. And the reality is that doesn't make a difference if you're using Pearson or Houghton Mifflin or 
whatever, you know, the, the curriculums are all designed to state standards, uh, you know, all of them, uh, you know, so ultimately, uh, I don't think you need to be reading through the social studies book to make sure that everything is cool or, or that your friend's kids using Pearson. It really doesn't matter. Yeah. So that's, so that's, you know, I, I, I try to use my parenting, how I deal with my kids' school as far as how I would give advice to parents. Okay. Talk to us about dual enrollment. There are more and more high schools across the country, even even into middle schools, trying to prepare kids for college classes by offering dual enrollment, which means they are in high school getting that high school credit with a class that they are also getting college credit for. So talk to us a little bit about that and why you think that's important. Well, you know, so, so college is, you know, as again, as a parent, my son just went through the college application process, you know, so colleges look for really three different things when they're deciding whether to admit you. The first is that you're, Challenging yourself to the best of your ability, taking the most rigorous college prep curriculum that that you can handle. Uh, you know, then your your resume. You know, what makes me different than you? And then you know, you know, finally your test scores. And then those are, you know, more and more schools are going test optional now, anyways. Which kind of leads back to the first component of: Are you challenging yourself to the best of your ability? So, you know, generally kids do that through AP, through advanced placement classes. The other way is through dual enrollment classes, just like you said, you know, typically juniors and seniors that would go, uh, you know, most of those programs would go to a local community college and take a college level class. Personally, I'm not a big believer in, in AP, even though we offer them at our schools and have offered them in every school that I've taught at for, for a couple of reasons. One is it's very teacher-directed. Uh, there's not much room. The teacher has to get through. It's You're teaching to a test. So it's yeah. very intense. You're teaching to a test at the end of the year. There's not much flexibility uh, to add or delete different things based on what's going on in the world because you're, the, the kids, you're being – you're accountable for how your kids do on that test. Right. Okay. So, you know, so then the kids take the test. It's, it's graded one through five, three and above is passing, but there's no guarantee the college is going to take those credits. Mm -hmm. So even if three is a passing, most colleges aren't going to take that three. It'll be really for fours and fives and some colleges don't take them at all. Okay. So the dual enrollment piece you don't have to take a test to pass the course. Generally, you have to get a C or above to get the college credit. And colleges are more apt to accept those college credits from other colleges than they are from, from AP. And I think that it also gives the kids really an opportunity, especially the highly motivated kids, uh, to see what a college class is like. Uh, and you know, there are a lot more online options now for uh, dual enrollment, but, you know, the, the kids that are going, the more traditional dual enrollment where they're stepping into a, a community college, you're, you're going there with college kids. 
and you have a you know a real professor in front of the room, and you can you know kind of it's great preparation, uh, you know, for when you're uh, you know going to matriculate in a in a four year school. So the the dual enrollment piece, you know, I think I personally believe is a better way to demonstrate that you're challenging yourself and taking a rigorous curriculum than than AP for the reasons that I that I said before. And, and, you know, it's not for everybody. It's a college class, you know, so you have to, uh, you know, I, you know, I think schools have to be and parents have to be realistic and selective and who they recommend, uh, you know, takes these courses. Right. Yeah. yeah that is, it's not going to be a good fit for every kid. That's for it's sure. It's not a good fit for every kid. Yeah. We have experience with both um, <laughs> in my family. And so my middle child did AP courses in high school. Mm-hmm. I don't know, calculus, physics, mm-hmm. uh, some of those. And I have never seen that level of stress in a child than I did when he was facing those exams and, Mm -hmm. and he got lucky or he worked hard. So he got fives Mm -hmm. and he got college credit for Mm -hmm. advanced placement credit for, for those fives. Mm -hmm. Um, How meaningful was that year's worth of work? I don't know. Um, Whereas my youngest child did has done dual enrollment since his freshman year of high school. Mm -hmm. And really that sense of satisfaction that he got from those courses without the same level of stress that I saw. And every child is different, like we're saying. Um, but Terry and I are both are both big proponents of dual enrollment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Amy, it's, it's our really experience. Helpful. Amy, it was the same with us that Autumn and Eliza both took AP classes. And it's exactly what you're saying. They Those courses were so stressful. They required so much extra work. I mean, so much extra time as opposed to then my son Canyon, who's doing college courses. Yeah. Dual enrollment all through high school. And he's getting, he's getting the actual college credit and it's way less stressful. He's not having to put in all this extra work, these extra hours. And you are talking about one class. Most of yes. these kids are taking three or four or even five AP classes. So you can yeah. even, you know, you can quadruple uh, the amount of stress. And then, you know, you look at the odds of getting into Harvard. I'm putting Harvard in quotes, but it could be any tier one college. You know, if, you know, 70,000 kids are applying for, 50, you know, 1,400 slots. So the odds of you getting into these schools is slim, if not slim and none. And, uh, you know, you, you, you know, you're doing homework till one in the morning and then you had to get up at six. Right. Um, you know, and I think that ties into my hybrid, you know, being a big believer of the hybrid model is uh, our kids don't have to get up, you know, at six in the morning to catch the bus. Right. Our kids create, our kids create their own schedules. So, you know, if, if, if you uh, are a morning person like I am, you know, I would, you know, come in to our school every day at 730 and try to be out before lunch. Um, but there's a lot of game now, obviously sleep research with teenagers. Uh, but so many teenagers are sleep deprived. I mean, my son, I drive to school every day. I'm thinking, oh, this is a great opportunity for us to bond. And I'd say 90% of the time he's sleeping the whole way to school. Yeah. Um, so, 
it's it's not a great place to bond, but I see how stressed out and tired he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 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 hybrid model again, uh, our kids could come in at ten and get some extra sleep. So you know, yeah. pushing pushing that pushing that model again, but you know how <laughs> that ties into uh, kids are really you know are are going after the big prize of a tier one, tier one college acceptance and taking a bunch of, of AP classes. Right. Well, and but I don't want to discount the importance of honoring those circadian rhythms in, in teenage kids, mm-hmm. right? I, I don't understand why public high schools ignore it. Right. It, well, is, it's a, it, it is drives strange. me nuts. Because, well, I mean, well, the research is... <laughs> Go ahead. The buses. <laughs> it's the buses, simple. right? It's, it's very buses and extracurricular activities. It's real mm-hmm. simple. It's mostly buses. Uh, and, uh, you know, so they, you know, they're picking kids up and they're dropping kids off. Uh, you know, sometimes it has to do with uh, field space for sports teams, right. uh, you know, after school and you have to get out at a certain time. So that means you have to start earlier uh, in a lot of districts. You know, the buses drop the high school kids first and then come back and get the middle school kids uh, next. Maybe that should be flipped, but they can't flip it because the high school kids have the sports after school. You know, so they can't start practice at 430 when daylight savings time. It's yeah. dark in a lot of places at 430, yeah. you know, in, in the in the winter. So that's I mean, that's the number one reason. And again, that goes back to kind of the, the fundamental question, you know, my fundamental belief is that the whole system is broken. Right. <laughs> and, and that's obviously a part of it. It makes no sense. Teenagers need sleep, yet they're doing homework until midnight and they're getting up at 5.30 a.m. to catch the bus at 6. Yeah. And then you wonder why they don't do well in their first few classes because they're half asleep. Right. <laughs> So do you think that creating private schools or charter options like you have done, do you think that that's a a great workaround or are you trying to create a model that could possibly globally work and replace the system? Well, I think, I think ultimately the, you know, the biggest problem is childcare. Um, you know, so is it going to replace the entire system? I doubt. Uh, but could it provide a real nice option for lots of families? Absolutely. I mean, you know, again, going back to, you know, the early 2000s when online schools started taking off. I, I live in the state of Florida. Florida virtual school is the, I don't know, the 68th public school district in the state of Florida with millions of kids taking classes, uh, uh, you know, either full-time or, or part-time. That's a tremendous disruptor. That was a tr- tremendous disruptor to the existing system uh, and uh, provided more choices to parents. I believe these, these high, you know, our hybrid blended model can be a similar disruptor. You know, so, you know, we're in the private school world. So we're trying when, when, when we created Exceed, it was to disrupt the private school world. 
Um, and uh, uh, that does not mean that our model couldn't be used in other places because the reality is it's, it's not that hard. Uh, you know, we're in small, we're in small footprints with a small number of staff with online teachers. Uh, what we're doing is not that hard to do. Um, you know, it's just a matter of forward thinkers, you know, and I, and I think that the charter school world has that freedom to think more outside the box, obviously that hence the, the whole process, but, you know, why not give parents and families another choice, just like with the advent of public online schools, charter online schools, uh, that are available in, in many, many states across this country. Uh, you know, I think the more options we can give families, the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The choices, having those options, so good. Yeah. So we need to take a break and let Terry um, read a word from our sponsor. And uh, when we come back, um, let's talk specifically about Exceed, where you are, um, how listeners can find you, and why they should want to. Are you concerned about your child's reading or spelling performance? Are you worried your child's reading curriculum isn't thorough enough? Well, most learning struggles aren't the results of poor curriculum or instruction. They're typically caused by having cognitive skills that need to be strengthened. Skills like auditory processing, memory, and processing speed. Learning RX one-on-one brain training programs are designed to target and strengthen the skills that we rely on for reading, spelling, writing, and learning. Learning RX can help you identify which skills may be keeping your child from performing their best. In fact, they've worked with more than 100,000 children and adults who wanted to think and perform better. They'd like to help get your child on the path to a brighter and more confident future. Give Learning RX a call at 866 Brain01 or visit learningrx.com. That's learningrx.com. And we're back talking to Dr. Brent Goldman um, about Exceed at Preparatory Academy and the hybrid learning model. Um, so, Dr. Goldman, talk to us specifically about Exceed, uh, where you are, how listeners can find you, and what's so special. Um, about you. Okay, great. Uh, we, for people, for your listeners and viewers that live in South Florida, we have three schools uh, in Miami-Dade and Broward County. Um, we also have a strictly virtual option for, uh, you know, families anywhere that can enroll in our school called Exceed Prep Virtual. Um, and then we have schools that are embedded in existing sports academies, one in Daytona Beach, Florida, one in Atlanta, Georgia, and one in Des Moines, Iowa. So uh, our, uh, our standalone schools, uh, what's special about them is really how different they are. Uh, they look, the, the, the schools look like uh, a combo of a high-tech startup space and a Starbucks. It doesn't look like anywhere where we went to, to school. 
Um, and you know, you our our families create their own schedules based on their children's academic needs or special talents or interests. Um, and you know, that's what makes us uh, unique and special. Our our website is exceedprep.org. Uh, and it's a, a great way to, to learn about us, our locations, our programs, uh, et cetera. I'm also personally uh, active on LinkedIn. So you can search me out on, on LinkedIn or very active in the education world, specifically, uh, uh, you know, our space with hybrid learning and online learning. Okay. And then tell us um, what makes your virtual school different than the other virtual school options. Again, it comes down for, you know, for us, it's uh, a virtual school. Uh, the success of it comes to, I believe, on how accessible your teachers are. So again, we are, our, our, the, the student teacher ratio at our virtual school is much smaller than other private virtual schools and specifically uh, public or charter virtual schools where, uh, you know, teachers can have hundreds of students and generally have uh, 24 to 48 hours to get back to you to answer any type of question. We want our, our teachers to get back as quickly as possible to the kids. Um, we also have a partnership with uh, an online tutoring company uh, where our kids can get off-hour support until midnight in every subject area, uh, where they can zoom in with a certified teacher in algebra, English, science, etc. Uh, if their uh, teachers are off, it's nine o'clock at night, and I'm working through uh, algebra. I can't understand this question. They can go on to our uh, off-hour support tutors and get extra help. Wow, comprehend. We have comprehensive college counseling starting in high school uh, for our uh, for our virtual students um, uh, in 11th and 12th grade. It's obviously much more hands on ninth and 10th grade. It's it's really helping them plan out their academic schedules, build their resumes, provide uh, trend information to the parents. Uh, learn about the differences between the SAT and the ACT, et cetera. 11th and 12th grade is more uh, your application, SAT, ACT prep, visiting colleges, uh, et cetera. Um, and the final piece, which you brought up in, um, you know, when we were talking about dual enrollment, is we partner with a, a group called Outlier. Uh, and it was created by the founders of Masterclass. And they have, I think now, 10 or 12 college courses that they deliver online. And the credits are granted through the University of Pittsburgh. Um, so that is a way for our virtual students to dual enroll without having to go, uh, go to their local community college and take it live. Because obviously... Our virtual students like learning online. So, right. you know, those are, you know, those are ways that make us unique and different. Okay. So I know that you personalize the curriculum for each student. Is there a part-time option or is it a full-time enrollment? Full, full-time only. Uh, and we have a summer school where kids can take part-time, you know, 
one or two credits, but we're a full-time, uh, full-time school. Okay. All right. Full-time, full service. Full-time, full service. Exactly. <laughs> Is there anything that you haven't gotten to tell our listeners that you'd still like to say? I, I think the, the, the biggest thing is um, I think there's a myth about private schools, about affordability. A lot of private schools offer financial aid. Uh, a lot of states offer uh, very robust voucher programs like the state of Florida where, where I'm at, which, which helps the affordability piece of private schools. But even if, if the private option doesn't work financially for your families, there's many choices available now. And I encourage parents to research what is available in your area, in your district, that might better meet the needs of your individual child than the local home school, the local home public school that might not meet your, your individual child's needs. It might be perfect, but it might not. Yeah. Okay. So thank you so much, Dr. Brent Goldman, for enlightening our listeners and us um, to this amazing hybrid private school option. Um, yeah. I've enjoyed this conversation with you very much. Thank you today. very much. Um, if you would like information um, about Exceed, um, the website is xceedprep.org. So exceedprep.org. Um, and you can find Dr. Goldman on social media at exceedprep. Again, X-C-E-E-D prep. Um, we will put those links and his social media handle in the show notes. You also said that you're on LinkedIn, very active. Yes. What is your... Uh, Search me out on LinkedIn. Under Dr. Brent Goldman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. So thanks so much for listening today. If you liked our show, we would love it if you would leave us um, a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you would rather watch us, we are on YouTube and you can find us on every social media platform at The Brainy Moms. So look, until next time, we know that you're busy moms and we're busy moms. So we're out. See ya.